Welcome into the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast for Thursday, March 3rd. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here, and while we have been focusing on the NFL draft quite a bit over the last few weeks, uh, we've been somewhat remiss in our preparation in that we really haven't delved into free agency all that much, actually. It's been a little bit of an oversight on our part, especially with free agency kicking off next week, and so we figured with that in mind, might as well bring in one of the experts out there who looks at this pretty much all year round, getting all the information in place so we can figure out what's going on just at a basic level here. And so we have Jason Fitzgerald from OverTheCap.com. He is kind enough to join us tonight. Before welcoming him in, have to welcome in my co-host Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you tonight? Doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm pretty excited for this, and uh, I uh, think we should be able to get a lot of good information here. Jason, uh, I want to give you a warm welcome to the Inside the Pylon podcast. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, No problem. Glad to be here. And Jason, just before uh, we start digging into uh, some of the details here, I'm sure most of our listeners are probably familiar with our site, but just give a little background about yourself and how you got into, uh, you know, really player contracts and studying the cap and, and what your path has been to this point. Um, you know, that's a, it's kind of an interesting question. I mean, it really just kind of got into this as a, uh, as a fan, a fan of the New York Jets, and kind of saw a void in there where a lot of articles were being written about the salary cap and the problems that the Jets were having, and uh, just decided from there to kind of learn it on my own, go online, try and make something um, of it from there. And it just kind of took off from that point, and eventually I ended up covering the whole league for it. And uh, Over the Cap has now become... Uh, certainly for football, uh, the leading contract site, I think, that's out there um, right now. We source all our own stuff. Uh, all the analysis is unique to our site. And, uh, you know, able to do some consulting work here and there. Uh, we have a lot of uh, teams um, that use certain features that we have on the site, uh, agents certainly, media, obviously. So, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been an interesting and uh, fun ride to uh, to kind of explore the cap and um you know, work with some of these contracts and some of the people that actually work in the industry on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you just from a personal perspective, I was putting together an article uh, detailing some of the kicker salaries in the last day or two, and I was on your site just trying to get all the numbers just to make sure I had everything uh, cleaned up the way that I needed it. So it's it's a great resource just for folks like us even, just trying to make sure that we have all the information here. I want to start digging into uh, just some concepts uh, with regards to the cap. And in particular, I found one that you wrote about uh, last week uh, to be pretty interesting. And I wanted to see if you could dig into this a little bit more here. You wrote an article about backloading contracts and how essentially that mortgages the future. And I was wondering if you could just discuss exactly what you were looking at in that article and how it relates to some of the cap problems that teams find themselves in today. Well, what you see happen is a a lot of teams, uh, in order to sign a player, uh, what they'll do is they'll basically give a very large signing bonus, which is going to be prorated over the life of the contract or close to the life of the contract. And what that does is that artificially makes the cap hits low uh, on the front end of the contract. And Joe Flacco is a perfect example of this, and this is what helped him get a uh, $22.3 million extension today, uh, whatever the number is. He's now the highest-paid uh, quarterback in the NFL. Um, basically, what happens here is you'll have a player like Flacco who was originally on a $20 million contract, 
And early on, he'll get cap hits that are, you know, along the lines of $10 million, $11 million, $12 million. And then at some point, it just catches up to you. And what happens in Flacco's case was this year he had a $28 million cap hit, I believe. Next year, it was a $31 million contract uh, cap hit. And it puts the team in a position where they really have to kind of um, really compromise greatly uh, to restructure these contracts or to, to do a new deal, uh, such as what they did with Flacco here, um, you know, giving him a whole new contract to, um, you know, to bring those cap numbers down again. Uh, Drew Brees is the same thing. The Saints constantly do that. And what happens is you really lock yourself into players. You know, Flacco, at least he's a younger quarterback, and he's 31 years old, so he still has time left. But when you do this with positional players, who typically, once they hit 30 years old, really begin a steep decline, you get stuck with a large number of players uh, that you're locked into because of salary cap charges, and they really can't play anymore. And you'll see teams like the Saints that might be carrying uh, – $20, $30 million is dead money because they have no choice but to cut these players and take large cap hits um, on their salary cap. So it, it, it's really a, um, it, it's a, it's a play-for-now mentality really with almost no regard for what's going to happen later. And most of the teams that do that um, really have some, some bad seasons when it comes to the cap. Uh, Saints, Raiders in the past, Dallas Cowboys, uh, the Buffalo Bills are headed down that path probably now. Um, maybe the Miami Dolphins. Uh, we've seen the Steelers go there. Um, you know, it, it's it's a method of cap management that was uh, rooted in the earliest days of the cap where you kind of had coaches running it. And there's a couple teams that still do it, and they really get in trouble uh, most of the time when they, they do the roster that way. Jason, uh, a question related to this is, obviously we're talking about backloaded contracts here. It would seem to me that a front-loaded contract would be more advantageous to the player just because you get that money up front. You're more likely to realize more of that deal to begin with. And also for a team, it seems, you'd be able to handle the back end of that contract a little bit more easily in a lot of cases here. Is it just a case where teams almost find themselves in this financial quicksand and there's nothing they can do to get out of it without completely cleaning the decks, though? Yeah, usually I think that's what happens. Uh, you know, most teams will see a window uh, that they believe that they have. Um, you know, the worst situations are usually a team that kind of out of nowhere surprises and has that 10 or 11 in season, maybe wins one game in the playoffs. You didn't expect much from them. Now they're scrambling to keep a roster together. Uh, you know, my team that I mentioned before, the Jets, might be a team kind of a little bit in that situation right now. And they make some decisions that just are not in the best interest of the team, but it's the, the only opportunity that they see to, to have a chance to win. Um, and so they just end up in that situation. And then it just snowballs from there. It's like every year thereafter, maybe the team is 8-8. Eight and eight. They're not bad enough to say, well, we need to blow this up. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And then eventually you have a season uh, like Oakland a couple of years ago where they carry 50 or $60 million in dead money, and they essentially have to turn themselves into an expansion team uh, because of what they did with their contracts uh, you know, a couple of years prior. Jason, we just passed the franchise tag deadline. Um, number of players um, were tagged with the franchise tag. Did any of those moves by teams surprise you in any way? Uh, I, 
Not really. I mean, if you would have asked me probably, um, you know, a month before the season ended, uh, I would have said, yeah, you know, a couple of them would have surprised me a little bit. Uh, Glenn in Buffalo, I think that would have been one. Maybe a little bit Johnson in St. Louis. Uh, that one, not as much. Um, Vernon, probably in Miami, getting a transition tag. Those, those would have surprised me a little bit more towards the end of the season. Uh, once the cap numbers started coming in and we started seeing some of these extension signs, specifically a lot of the contracts being signed by the Eagles, uh, I, I think these teams had no choice but to do uh, to try and protect their interests. Um, you know, the Eagles with the big deals for Vin Curry, who hadn't even started a game, uh, Lane Johnson, who was a right tackle, um, you know, really hadn't uh, grown into that left tackle position yet at all, uh, getting paid as if they were kind of top-end starters. I think that just changed the dynamics for these teams when it came to some of these players, and they were in a position where they had to do it. So, yeah, I don't think I was really surprised at this point. But, you know, a couple a couple months ago, I think I would have been a little surprised if someone would have told me that uh, Cordy Glenn was going to, going to get a franchise tag. Jason, uh, one of the players that Mark has written about quite a bit uh, over the last couple of years is Kirk Cousins. And I know uh, his potential contract is something that you've looked into over the last week or so as well. Talk a little bit about what you think might make the most sense for Washington as well as what might make the most sense for uh, Cousins and what ultimately gets done. Uh, well, Cousins actually signed his, or announced he was going to sign his franchise tag, I guess, tomorrow. Uh, that might change things a little bit as to what his intentions are. Um, I, I think a fair value contract uh, at this point, if you really assume that he's not going to be a, a bust, um, I, I think probably has to come in around $14 million a year, $15 million a year. I, I think that at least leaves both sides with some risk. Uh, that's kind of what the Lions did a couple of years ago with Matt Stafford. Um, that's clearly what the Rams did with Nick Foles. That's what uh, the Bengals even did with Andy Dalton. And I, I think that's where you have to be with Cousins. Um, we've seen so many times quarterbacks come in and have a good one season, uh, you know, part of the season, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And they'll strike it big, whether it's uh, Matt Castle or you know, going years, years back, you know, a guy like a Rob Johnson. And what happens is the, the clock strikes 12 very quickly, and these teams end up stuck with these big contracts and players that, you know, two years down the line, they're already saying, we need to bring another guy in here to compete. This guy can't play. Um, I don't think Cousins has shown enough to really prove that he's worth um, that $18, $19, 20000000 million. And that's probably one of the reasons why he actually signed the tag so quickly uh, was to, to lock in his salary um, because it's, it is it is pretty high uh, compared to probably where he projected to be um, certainly before the season on a contract and maybe even uh, before they made the, the little run for the playoffs late in the year. Um I, I would think that's probably where they would be. I would, from my own personal standpoint, I would probably even be afraid of going that high on him on a contract unless it was structured in a way to where I could leave the deal right after two years. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why, if you look at one of the rivals, uh, the Eagles, why they did a two-year deal for Sam Bradford. It was to kind of make certain to some extent that they could just get rid of that contract in uh, two seasons because there's, there's a lot of... Um, unproven with him as well. Um, so I, I would probably feel more comfortable with Cousins in the 10 to $12 million range. But I could see going as high as 14 or 15. 
I think anything beyond that, you're just taking on way too much risk for a player that, it, you know, for three years was nothing more really than a, uh, a backup quality player. So that would kind of be my take with him. Jason, I want to ask you about Muhammad Wilkerson, another player that the Jets use the franchise tag on. Do you see in a situation where they sign a long-term deal there, or do you think this is sort of a one-year, try to keep their options open, move by the team? Yeah, I think it's definitely a keeping options open move. Uh, we haven't heard anything about negotiations with Wilkerson. might have even been since John Intick got fired. Um, once the new general manager came in, last year they, they obviously made a lot of moves in free agency. Uh, there was no talk at all, really, of extending Wilkerson. Uh, there might have been just some pass-by comments that sounded like it was kind of low-ball offers. Um, he's the only player of the franchise tag players this year where you haven't heard anything about real legitimate offers going back and forth. I think this is the Jets just protecting their interests for the next four trade. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, they'll let it ride out for the year, and then they'll probably let them walk next season. Jason, looking at the uh, the contracts that are typically signed every year, a lot of attention is always paid to the top end, who gets the most money, the most guaranteed money. Where do you find that teams are able to typically find the best value? Is it just a tier down from there? Is it when you get down into the 3 to $5 million a year contracts? Is it veteran minimums? Where Where is kind of the sweet spot if you're looking for free agents that you can typically find deals? Because... You know, a lot of teams try to go out and build a team that way, but it's not the most effective way in a lot of cases. Yeah, I, I think it's very rare for the top-tier uh, players in free agency to really ever bring you value. Uh, usually you overpay greatly for those players. Um, and again, you know, the, the, the shelf life of the NFL player is not very long. Uh, you know, a lot of times with these contracts, I'll say the minute that they sign them, um, you know, just a couple minutes right after that, you're already saying, okay, well, what's going to happen two years from now, three years from now, uh, you know, on these deals that are three, four, five, six years long. Um, even the second tier sometimes gets pushed up depending on the position. You know, Byron Maxwell, for instance, last year, he was clearly a second-tier cornerback, ended up making pretty big money. Um, there's certainly no value in that either. Sometimes it probably <clears throat> it, it depends a little bit year by year uh, based on the players that are available. But I, I think your best value probably comes in what I would call the third tier of free agents. Uh, those are the ones that probably sign in the second week of free agency. Um, I, I think that's really where you can find your bargains a lot of times. Uh, you can find players that maybe end up really fitting your system. Uh, you'll get them for lower costs. Maybe some incentives are put in there. Um, you, you find some guys that really have uh, have something to prove. Maybe they're, they're coming off an injury or they're just coming off a a down season for whatever reason. I think that's really where you find your most value um, in terms of finding, at the very least, a contributor, someone that's going to play 60% of the snaps, but do it at an affordable price. Jason, at the site right now, you're going through the off-season previews for all 32 teams. You're about two-thirds of the way through, with the caveat that you're not done with all 32 teams yet. Have in that work, have any cap situations for a team struck you as either, oh, these, this team is really poised to spend some money, or this team's really up against the cap and they're in a little bit of trouble? Well, I, I think the teams that are in trouble are, are teams like the Saints. Um, you know, th those are the teams that are always kind of right up against it. Um, you know, the Cowboys are another team that I think is leveraged out a little bit. Baltimore. Um, but those would be the teams that have, are kind of leveraged. Uh, Buffalo, I forgot about them. Uh, a lot of the teams, though, otherwise, are really in positions to spend. Um, you know, the Giants, the Raiders, the Jaguars. 
if these teams want to, I mean, these teams can go and pretty much spend anything. I mean, they, they can outspend any team in the NFL, um, you know, construct contracts in a way, use the cap money that they have right now, uh, you know, and really go wild in free agency to, uh, to try and rebuild their rosters. Um, those are really the, the three teams I think I would look out for the most is really the Giants, the Raiders, and the Jaguars. Um, the Giants and Jaguars maybe more so than, uh, than Oakland. Oakland's been a little bit more conservative than the other teams. Uh, but I, I could see those teams really, um, you know, really being active in free agency this year. Jason, uh, just got a couple minutes left here. When we talk about uh, trends that we've seen in contracts over the last couple of years, obviously, you know, we always people are always looking at just basic top line number as well as the guaranteed number that's in there. What do you typically end up seeing in terms of the average NFL contract? How much of that is typically earned out? Do you have any data on that? If I had a guess on them, um, you know, I used to actually track that, and then it just became uh, a little bit uh, cumbersome to really kind of keep track on all of it. It, it depends, of course, you know, on, on the contract structures that are there. I would say most of the time, probably about 60 to 70% of a contract gets played out. Um, you know, certain players may be a little bit higher if they, they're lucky enough to get one of those massive signing bonuses right up front. You know, a player like a Charles Johnson who might actually make it to the end of his deal with Carolina. And the only reason he's made it that far is because of the structure uh, that was made on the contract. Um, I, I would say probably about 60 to 70% uh, of the contract is earned. Uh, as you get into the lower tier players, at that point, it, it can be anywhere from 30% to maybe 50%, um, you know, depending on the length of the contract. Uh, so you know, it, it does have a little bit to do with uh, where they fall in free agency, what tier they fall in. Um, but generally, that, that, that would be the, the two areas I would look in, uh, the two numbers I would give for uh, the two different tiers of players. Outstanding. Well, Jason, uh, if people want to uh, read your work, hear your work, see your work, what's the best place for them to go see it? Just your website, overthecap.com? Yep, that is uh, typically the best place. Uh, I also write a uh, column for the Sporting News once a week, uh, so you can pop on and see that. And uh, you can always just follow me on Twitter, at Jason underscore OTC, and ask me any questions you want there, and I'll try and get back to you. And uh, I'll usually tweet out links to uh, most of the stuff that I do on there, so... If there's any kind of update, you can uh, find it on your Twitter feed. Awesome stuff. Well, I know this is a uh, busy time of year for you, so we're definitely thankful that you were able to uh, join us for a little bit here. Uh, we won't take up too much of your time, but thanks again for coming on with us. Thanks, Jason. No problem, guys. All right. That was Jason Fitzgerald from OverTheCap.com. Uh, as he said, you can go follow him on Twitter. Uh, he is a great follow there. OverTheCap.com is the website as well. You, you go up there, and, and Mark, I was sitting there. I was doing a piece on uh, how much kickers get paid yesterday, and I was sitting there, and literally you can go through every single kicker contract that is in existence right now, guaranteed money per year, total money guaranteed, average salary. You can go back, you click on any player there, and it'll go and take you back through his earnings, I think going all the way back to maybe 2009 or 2010. Like It's, it's all there pretty much if you want contract info. It's an amazing resource, and especially for a guy like me, and I've said this before, salary cap, contract structures, stuff like that, it's like an absolute black hole of knowledge for me. Like I have like absolutely no clue about this stuff, but this website and what Jason does, it's an incredible resource. It's such great work, and it's invaluable, I think. 
Yeah, it, it really is. So if you haven't checked it out for whatever reason, uh, if you've been living under the proverbial internet rock, make sure you get yourself over to overthecap.com. Also follow Jason on Twitter. I believe his Twitter handle is Jason underscore OTC. I'm going to check that right now just to make sure I'm not giving out bad information, which occasionally happens. Yes, it is Jason underscore OTC. Follow him on Twitter. Check him out. It is a tremendous resource uh, for any football fan, especially this time of year. It's it's busy season. Yeah, it's his busy season. It's it's pretty much, you know, it's this is almost like tax day for him. So uh, let's let's do a little bit of a uh, Twitter question. How about that? Here we go. We got a Twitter question. Go. This one's coming from Michael Kist, Twitter handle Michael J. Kist. Mark, this one's right up your alley. It's not how fast do you run the 40. The oh, question boy. is inside the pylon. What are some passing concepts that teams will lean on to make a rookie quarterback comfortable? Oh, that's a really good question. I like that a lot. And a lot of it is dependent on the quarterback's history himself. A great example is Marcus Mariota. I've mentioned this before and how he ran that sort of Chip Kelly-esque offense at Oregon, obviously under Chip Kelly, and then you know after Chip Kelly left under Scott Frost, where there's a lot of run-pass option, a lot of mesh concepts and things like that. And a question mark around Mariota was, how is, he, how is that game, how is his experience going to transition to the next level? Well, Tennessee kind of incorporated a little bit of that stuff into their offense this year. They did some run-pass option stuff. They did, you know, some simplified reads for him. So that's an example of giving the quarterback something he's kind of familiar with. Generally speaking, I think a great way that coaches can kind of simplify the offense a little bit, give the quarterback full field read structures, not technically full field reads, use married passing concepts. This is something we saw a lot with the Buccaneers and Jameis Winston, where they'd give him the same look to each side of the field, whether it's a smash concept with a corner and a flat route to both sides of the field, or, you know, you could go hang concept with a slant and a flat route to both sides of the field. Therefore, he gets him with a line of scrimmage. He sees either based on formation, based on coverage, based on right hash mark, left hash mark. He has an idea where he's going to go with the football. He opens up to, you know, one side of the field or the other, makes his reads, and if he doesn't see it, then he's free to go to the backside if he can. But it's a way of sort of giving the quarterback a sort of simplified half field read to, you know, still make some progression reads. You have the option to attack both sides of the field, but it doesn't tax the quarterback with too much information to process. It doesn't have to be mirrored. You can give half field reads, one to each side, set up maybe a smash concept to one side and a levels or a drive concept to the other side. But, you know, things like that where a quarterback has some basic simplified, perhaps half field reads will allow them to step in do something that he's somewhat familiar with and make some good decisions with the football. What's the, uh, in your opinion, obviously I know it's different for every quarterback, but from your playing experience, what's the more difficult piece to pick up there? The physical act of throwing uh, of throwing the, the specific route once you make the read or actually making the read in and of itself? Making the read. Yep. Um, because, you know, the physical act of throwing a corner out, throwing a, a deep out, throwing a curl route, throwing a comeback. I mean, that's stuff you've been doing in the backyard since you were a kid. You know, the, the physical mechanics of delivering the football. You know, obviously there are times when you need to adjust on the fly and put the football where it needs to be to complete the pass. But again, that's stuff you can do in the backyard, playing out on the street with your friends. But deciding where to go with the football, reading the defense on the fly, sometimes reading routes that get adjusted on the fly. I mean, a great example of that is just put up an article on Carson Wentz kind of trying to address some of the, you know, basic sort of criticisms that people seem to have about, you know, Carson Wentz and his potential transition to the NFL. 
One of the plays I looked at that people have highlighted as a possible criticism of him, it's a four verticals concept. They adjust the first route that he's looking at. Once, if the way that they structure that four verticals pro pro progression read, it's a full field read. He starts from one side of the field and goes to the other sides. Teams do it differently. That's how NDSU does it. He looks at that first route, and since there's an off corner that's playing cover three, they adjust that route on the fly from the vertical route to a deep comeback route. So that's a moment where you're going to make that split-second read, split-second decision, and ho hope that the wide receiver reads it the same way. So stuff like that, making adjustments on the fly, making reads on the fly, that's always been, at least from my experience and from breaking down film, the toughest part about playing this position. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Mark? We're wrapped. That's it. That's a great show, man. That's that was a it. good show. Jason, that's fantastic stuff. People, please follow Jason's work. Read his stuff. It's incredible stuff. We can't recommend it enough. If it helps us, it should help you. Yeah, we, he really is a great resource. Make sure you check it out once again, overthecap.com. We are wrapped up for the day. Coming up tomorrow, I think we're going to be doing a little bit more with free agency, going to be digging into one specific team. I'm not going to tell you who it is now. This is that big market tease to get you all excited for tomorrow to make sure you come back. Whether you like the Vikings, the Seahawks, the Patriots, or the Texans, make sure you come back. Your team may be covered, may not be, and then you can tweet at me about how upset you are. But we will be back tomorrow with a little bit more free agency talk. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield signing off. <laughs>